Hey everybody, Craig Shop here, back at the Ohioan Podcast, and today we have a very special guest, Bob Garver, our New York City film critic. Bob, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Happy Monday. Yeah, well, hopefully you had a good week of movies. Uh, we're going to talk about three, and then we're also going to do a little special segment uh, today, but let's talk with Separation. Uh, this is a movie I'm not overly familiar with. Uh, saw a couple of people, Rupert Friend, Brian Cox, are starring in it, but tell us a little bit about this movie. I'm not really familiar with this one. Well, uh, this is a uh, horror movie about a, um, I guess it opens with a uh, couple going through a pretty, a pretty bitter divorce. Um, the mother is uh, killed by an unseen motorist, and uh, then some uh, supernatural things begin happening to uh, the father and the daughter, and uh, it's quite possible that it has something to do with the dead mother. Okay. Um, well, it seems like you've been on a little bit of a roll here with seeing horror movies. Uh, is this one any better than what you've seen recently in theaters? No, if anything, it's worse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. What what uh, what maybe didn't work for you for separation? Um, the um, both parent characters and and really every adult in the movie is very unlikable. Very unlikable. I'm getting an echo. Are you getting an echo? Are you getting an echo? No, I'm not. Okay. Okay. But yes, um, and the um, so you're the talking biggest, the biggest scare of the movie doesn't have anything to do uh, the, um, uh, with the plot, and the scares that do have stuff to do with the plot are very scary. Okay. Well, it sounds like a possibly an interesting premise that maybe just goes off the rails. Uh, it seems like it'd be kind of an interesting movie to watch with uh, a, a young girl connecting with her dead mother, uh, but unfortunately doesn't work for you. Anything about this movie stand out? Was there anything, you know, maybe redeemable about this movie that may be worth watching to some people? Just, just how dumb the final act twist is. Just, just how dumb the final act twist is. <laughs> So it's kind of one of those. It's so bad, it's good, or it's just so bad you no, have to just, watch it's it because it's so bad. Be avoided. No, it's just, it's just bad. <laughs> be avoided. And did you have a final uh, letter grade for separation? D. D. All right. All right. So now we're going to go from comedy or from horror to comedy. You saw the new uh, comedy Together Together, uh, an Ed Helms film. Um, tell us a little bit about Together Together. Uh, this is a um, oh yeah, you said comedy. Uh, this is about a uh, single man who is uh, going through the surrogacy process, and uh, this um, it, it's about basically a relationship between him and his surrogate. Okay, you know this isn't a movie that you know really does anything fancy or flashy, but. Almost all of the jokes land. I, I was very happy with this one. Okay. Well, that's exactly what you want from your comedy. You want the jokes to work. Uh, seems interesting, though, to turn a sort of a comedy about a surrogate, uh, you know, maybe uh, family unable to have kids, maybe, and, and turn that into a comedy. But, uh, what, well, no, it's not, it's not a family unable to, to have kids. It's just, it's just the one guy. Okay. Okay, um, so he meets this woman. They kind of have an unexpected connection, and decide no, to. Uh, he's, he's, looking, he's looking for a professional surrogate. Professional surrogate. Okay, but All the right, relationship uh, so kind of develops from there. Kind of 
relationship sure. there. Well, you know, it's not a romantic relationship. It's, it's just a. It's just a professional relationship, and they turn out to be friends. Okay. For a while. So sort of a, a different, while. maybe a different take there for a while there. Well, Ed Helms is always a, a pretty fun guy. You know, he's you know he's all, usually delivers that good comedy, deadpan comedy at times. What did you think of Ed Helms in this film? He was funny. Yeah. He was funny. Yeah. Uh, got some uh, real got, uh, uh, emotion real, out of his uh, performance too. Okay. Uh, well, it sounds like you enjoyed Together Together, obviously. Uh, what was your final grade for the Me. movie? Me. All right. Fantastic. Okay. So uh, now we're going to go into a little bit more of a serious uh, film, and that's uh, Four Good Days. Uh, this is a uh, some, something that kind of snuck in on, under my radar a little bit, but Glenn Close, Mila Kunis, Stephen Root uh, star in this uh, movie about a mother who helps uh, her daughter work through uh, maybe four days of uh, drug recovery. Uh, tell us a little bit about this film. Well, um, Glenn Close plays Mila Kunis's mother, and um, Mila shows up to the mother's house to uh, get money, probably for more drugs. And the mother insists she goes through detox. And uh, while she's at detox, she learns of a. Uh, shot she can get uh, that may help her recover from drug addiction permanently, uh, but she can't take it unless drugs have been out of her system for four straight days. So Prudence uh, has to stay at Flo's house uh, for four days and stays clean uh, and she, so she can get this shot. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously we've seen the, the struggles of drug addiction on screen you know, quite often. Sometimes it, it hits really well. I, you know, I always think about maybe the movie like Traffic or Requiem for a Dream. Um, sometimes it doesn't land. Uh, what, what about this? Is this, does this land or does it miss the mark as it uh, depicts drug addiction? I thought that it lands to a degree. Uh, it's the drug addiction material has been done better before, but it is done well here. Um, I have been hearing people say that it's not a very good representation of drug addiction. Uh, they're uh, saying maybe it is to drug addiction the way uh, the movie music, see his music movie, is to autism. Okay. Now, you know, this is a, a starring vehicle for Mila Kunis. Obviously, we, we know her from that 70s show, a lot of romantic comedies, but here she gets to maybe test her acting chops a little bit in more of a drama. Does she deliver with Glenn Close as her co-star? Yes, yes, I believe she does. Yeah, she's a very sympathetic figure. Yeah, here in a, a straight drama that is uh, out of out of the wheelhouse that I'm used to seeing her in. Sure. Uh, so do you have a final grade for foot Four Good Days? B minus. B minus. Okay. All right. Well, those um, are if it's some, okay with you, um, I'm going yeah. to close the window and then rejoin because I, I can't get this. I can't check this echo. Maybe if I close it and reopen it, it's going to. Uh, okay. All right. So Bob there has uh, four good days uh, as a B minus. Uh, not really recommending separation, but uh, looks like he's also rep uh, rep recommending Together Together, the uh, romantic comedy with Ed Helms. Um, 
you know, I'm a big fan of Ed Helms's work in the office. He he just seems to be one of those reliable actors. So um, it looks like we have Bob back. Uh, hey, Bob, is uh, everything working now for you? I believe so. Okay, perfect. All right, so we have the three movies down, and uh, now I think we wanted to do something a little bit more special, uh, something that uh, you know that we haven't really done here just yet, but something that may be a little bit more fun for people. Uh, we're going to explore uh, some lists of you know famous movie you know villains or heroes or franchises, sequels, whatever it may be. Uh, today we're going to look at our top five favorite movie villains. Um, now, obviously, this could be a character that's playing. This could be, you know, maybe a theme. But uh, we're, what we'll do is we'll have a, our top five. We'll go five to one. Uh, Bob, I will go first, and then we'll let you go. Is that okay? Yes. All right, perfect. So my list is a little interesting. Um, the number five on my list is HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey. You know, I think what Stanley Kubrick does here is creating a villain in a movie where we didn't really, you know, you didn't really need to have a villain, but they created an interesting take on a villain where it wasn't a human being. It wasn't really even a robot. It was a computer system. And I think, you know, having watched this movie multiple times over the course of maybe the last 15 to 20 years, it really stands out the more and more I watch it as Hal 9000 being this terrible villain in our reliance on technology and, and just our, our fear of the unknown in the future of technology, it really creates a compelling villain. And this is circa 1968. So uh, very much ahead of its time, I think, as far as you're looking at the technology aspect as being maybe too reliant on technology for human, you know, for humans and, and just uh, maybe how South it can go at times. And this is a, uh, an interesting example of that. So uh, number four on my list, I have uh, Christoph Waltz's turn as Hans Landa in uh, *Inglorious Bastards*. I really—he loved... almost made my list. He was—he was number six or seven. Okay, I—I I mean, I really, really loved his take on this, uh, as he was referred to himself as the Jew hunter. Uh, we're talking about uh, World War II era Nazi Germany. He is tasked with hunting down families who are, you know, stowing away Jewish people and hiding them. And uh, he's he's equal parts cynic and, and, and really devious and, and satanic, but then he's also kind of charming. And, it, and I think when you get a villain like that, it really jars you because in some ways you're not, you're not rooting for him, but you kind of understand why people like him. He's a very well-spoken guy. He seems to be nice with the exception of the fact that he's a Nazi that's hunting down Jewish people. And, you know, his his interactions, this is an actor's actor's type role. And I can understand why, you know, Quentin Tarantino was looking for the perfect actor. I mean, there was at one point Leonardo DiCaprio was possibly going to play Hans Landa. And then, of course, he finds Christoph Waltz and totally hits it out of the park. This is maybe one of the best casting jobs of the, at least the last 25, 30 years so Christoph Waltz and uh, Inglorious Bastards with his role for Hans Landa makes my list at number four. Now, number three, I have Anthony Hopkins uh, as Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. This is another one of those actors, actors type movie where Hopkins plays this, this character as a very charming, intelligent man that befriends you right before he gets ready to eat you, essentially. He is uh, Hannibal the cannibal, of course, and... 
Uh, Hopkins really hits it out of the park. Of course, he won the Oscar for Best Actor for this role. And it's really one of those get-under-your-skin kind of moments with just how charming and articulate and intelligent he can be. And then the next minute, he can be a violent brute that's killing people. So always uh, have found that to be a fascinating performance. Now, number two on my list, I have Heath Ledger as the Joker in The Dark Knight from 2008. Uh, this is probably the best comic book character come to the screen that I've ever seen. He plays this Joker role perfectly. You know, sometimes I think as, as moviegoers, we like to see motivation on screen. We want to see why people are motivated to do what they do. And in this case, the Joker was simply just there to create anarchy in Gotham City. He didn't have a real big backstory. He hinted at backstories about how he got the facial scars on his face, but he never once really told the truth. And I think the mystery of, of his backstory and who he is and what he is made it even more, you know, jarring and creepy when the things he was doing on screen kept getting more and more violent as he was trying to turn Gotham against itself. So really great performance by Heath Ledger. Of course, he won the supporting actor uh, Oscar but uh, just a great performance uh, from Heath Ledger. Now, my number one could be a little controversial depending on who you are, but I'm going with Anton Chigurh, the character from No Country for Old Men, played by Javier Bardem, another Oscar winner. This performance was so chilling because like the other, you know, Anthony Hopkins and Christoph Waltz, he gave this really subtle, in this case, a subtle performance, but he was also... He had this morality about him, which I, I couldn't I couldn't shake at times, like where if if he flipped a coin or if he decided that you needed to die, he was going to kill you no matter what, only because he felt like that was the right thing to do. Um, you know, he had a great interaction with Woody Harrelson's character uh, where basically he's like, I have to kill you because I'm that was my, my job. I need to kill you. Um, and same thing with Josh Brolin's character as well, the main character who steals this money and then of course goes on the run and Shiger is kind of tasked with hunting down this uh, lost money and Bardem just gives a really understated performance but it is so eerie every time he's on the screen you feel him you, you know you feel that presence with you and it, it really is tough to shake off after you watch it the, the kind of performance that Bardem gives in what I found to be a great movie with uh, the Coen brothers, uh, No Country for Old Men. So that is my list. I'm going to turn it over to uh, Bob. If you want to comment or anything on my list, go ahead, but uh, we'll turn it over to you so you can comment and then also give your list. Uh, well, I think you have a great list. As a matter of fact, um, you um, you took the Joker uh, from okay. my list. So uh, so I'm, I'm going to uh, take the Joker out of the number three position. I'm going to put it in a new, uh, a new number five. Uh, but, uh, yeah, very, very pleased with your list. Uh, most of those roles, uh, Oscar winners outside of, uh, Douglas rain, uh, who, uh, voiced, uh, how 9,000, but, but yeah, no complaints about your list. Okay. All right. Well, uh, if, if you want to, you can keep the Joker in your list. You don't have, you can, we can double up, but, uh, go ahead and give us your top five. Uh, it, like, it sounded like the Joker was number three, but let's start at number five for you. The number five, and I'll, I'll, I'll take the Joker out because you, you nailed it with the Joker so much. But um, uh, my new number five is going to be The Wicked Witch of the West. Okay. From The Wizard of Oz, or, or rather, uh, Margaret Hamilton's performances in The sure. Wizard of Oz. Um, 
both the Wicked Witch of the West and Miss Gulch, the neighbor who right. uh, wanted Toto put down. Uh, she's even yeah. more unforgivable. Absolutely. And then the witch who, you know, is maybe just going through some stuff because she lost her sister. But uh, yeah, she has terrified several generations of children. And for that alone, <laughs> she needs to be on the list somewhere. Um, number four, I'm going to go with Terrence Fletcher, the uh, uh, conductor from Whiplash, played by J.K. Simmons, uh, also an Academy Award winner. Yeah. Um, I had met uh, J.K. Simmons at a deli uh, a mere few weeks before this movie came out, and he was such a nice guy. And then, and then he was so terrifying in this movie, and the way he has this as Miles Teller's drummer uh, just just under his thumb, and so terrified to just get out of bed in the morning. That's the kind of person that. I've, I've met a few people like that, and they, they just managed to turn your world upside down. Um, and then it was so sweet. J.K. Simmons at the Oscars went back to being so sweet. He told everybody to, to call their mom and <laughs> say that they loved him. And, and I did just that as soon as the speech was done. Um, number, uh, number three, I'm going to go with... Uh, now, there had to be a spot on here for a Disney villain, because I'm such a huge okay. fan of of Disney animated villains. Uh, I went with uh, Claude Frollo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, the okay. adopted father of uh, Quasimodo. Sure. Who um, has a very weird by Disney standards uh, obsession with the gypsy woman Esmeralda. Uh, and he gets the most terrifying musical number in the whole Disney pantheon and that's Hellfire. Right. And uh, wow, Disney Disney did Hellfire at the height of its, you know, Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin uh, greatness. Um, number two, I uh, this is a this is a tie uh, because uh, both of these villains uh, scared me in the exact same way, but they scared me at a very impressionable age. Um, Ghostface from Scream and Michael Myers from Halloween. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I would go to bed at night, and I wouldn't want to open the door uh, for fear that either Michael Myers or Ghostface and their terrifying masks would get in. Okay. Uh, it just. Um, and then the, this was during an era where I had uh, kind of a big, big house with minimal supervision. Um. So so I felt very uh very vulnerable to to these men in their masks. Um, and the first villain, number number one villain, uh, Dr. Evil from okay. Austin Powers <laughs> International Man of Mystery, because when I was 11, I would not shut up about this movie. This was my favorite movie. I've never stopped liking it. And uh, I just did uh, all the quotes. And I was just so obsessed with with. Not even Austin Powers so much, but Dr. Evil all the time. Was always quoting him, always doing the voice. I won't do the voice here because I, I can't do the voice anymore. But he was just a, just a character. Anytime um, there was a list of great villains, I would immediately check to see where he was. And if he wasn't near the top, I would uh, just disregard the whole list. <laughs> well, that's a great pick. A very interesting pick. Not necessarily the, the doom and gloom of most evil villains, but also kind of funny and... Uh, just uh, 
a buffoon at times, but very. No, he wasn't. He wasn't scary. He was just he, just my favorite. Yeah, no, that's a good pick. I like that. I like I like that list. You know, it's kind of funny. I was looking at this list. Um, you know, there was a couple of you know I had the Wicked Witch really close on my list. Yeah, uh, really close to making that top five. Um, Norman Bates from Psycho was was on on my. Oh list. yeah, you missed both lists. Yeah. Um, you know, I have Emperor Emperor Palpatine and Darth Vader from Star Wars. Um, I thought they were sort of tight at the hips, so I kind of thought about them as a pair. Uh, but those were a couple of people that just missed my list. Is, did anybody, you know, stand out that maybe just missed your list? I know you said, um, you know, Christoph Waltz almost made there, but uh, anybody else that stood out for you? Um, I wanted to include a female villain, and I landed on the the Wicked Witch. Uh, but um, somebody else I was strongly considering was uh, Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, <laughs> um, just because she was the epitome of. Of, of just the antagonist in that movie. And right. I think she went too early. I've, I've, I've always said that um, they should have gotten rid of uh, Mike TV earlier. He shouldn't have um, been like second to last in that whole, in that whole contest. He, he should have gone earlier and maybe he had to be Charlie versus Veruca somehow at the, uh, as the final two. I think, I think you're completely right on that. Um, I think she would have been better better served for a longer appearance that way she would have been the exact opposite of Charlie, but then also the exact opposite of Willy Wonka and just the idea of, you know, being a deserving child that, you know, would have deserved the, all the spoils and riches of the chocolate factory. So that's a good pick. That would have been an interesting pick too. That's uh, you, you enlightened me quite a bit there. I wasn't even thinking about someone like her, but that's a, that's a good option. But uh, well, I mean, I think we both had some fun lists there. Um, obviously, you can make an argument for dozens of others, and I'm sure yeah. if you ask other people, you'd have five different lists. So it's always fun to see, you know, who you, how, how you value your villains. Some people like the, you know, the villain. Like I, I kind of like those villains that have that charm and that ability to kind of get under your skin, but you also kind of like them a little bit too. Sure. Uh, and it's kind of interesting when you see if it's more of a three dimensional villain to me in, in some ways. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's always some good villains out there and, you know, we, we, we definitely ran the gamut here, I think today. So, uh, Bob, I definitely appreciate your time as always, and I'm sure we'll be back next week with some other uh, fun things. So thanks so much for joining us today on the Ohioan podcast. Thank you very much. This is the highlight of my week. All right. See you later, Bob. All right, guys, so uh, that's all for the Ohioan today. We looked at uh, three movies and uh, some of our favorite villains of all time. So uh, just get out there and continue watching movies. This is Craig Shop from the Ohioan Podcast. Hey, everybody, Craig Shop here with the Ohioan Podcast, and this is your Ohioan Weekend Review. If you're looking for something to stream this weekend, and if maybe you're about the age 35 and younger, I've got something great for you. If you have Paramount Plus, you can take a, a nice journey down memory lane with some nostalgic classics on the Paramount Plus lineup. They have their, uh, of course, their their deal with Nickelodeon, and a lot of old Nickelodeon shows have made their way to the streaming, the new streaming service that just really is in its infancy. And I tell you what, this is probably one of the best things that Paramount Plus could have done was really tap into that nostalgia market with Nickelodeon shows, two of which that I'm going to highlight here, but we're also going to mention a few others. Guts 
in Legends of the Hidden Temple. Now, if you've listened to the podcast, you've maybe heard me talk a little bit about uh, those being a couple of shows that I grew up on, and you would be absolutely right. Uh, this uh, obviously is a shout out for Chris and Brandon, who have made fun of me a little bit about my love for some nostalgia Nickelodeon shows. But honestly, when you're looking for something to watch, Paramount Plus really has a solid lineup, in my opinion, especially when you're talking about Nickelodeon shows. If you have young kids in the house or if you're sort of a kid at heart, like I said, in that millennial age where you're looking for something that maybe takes you back to your childhood, look no further really than Paramount Plus. I mean, there's obviously some things maybe that they're lacking right now that uh, is sort of in their infancy stage as a streaming service, but certainly there's plenty to watch there on the newest streaming service out there. Um, with, when you talk about Guts and you talk about Legends of the Hidden Temple, for me, it just takes me back to my childhood. It allows me to, to kind of remember what I used to grow up on as a youngster. Uh, you know, Nickelodeon had some really great shows along with Nick Arcade, and Hey Dude, Are You Afraid of the Dark, all that. A lot of shows from that early 1990s, late 80s, early to mid 90s, Rugrats, of course, I, th I think a lot of people would probably uh, remember as well, and that's also on Paramount+. Plus. Um, obviously, kids growing up these days have a lot more, maybe a lot more options than maybe back then with different streaming services having their own original content, along with just the normal TV programming that we get with places like, you know, people like Disney and other places. But watching and being able to get back into watching Guts and Legends of the Hidden Temple has been so much fun on Paramount+. Plus primarily because it's something that I never really expected. Um, I remember, you know, when the, when it just, when Paramount Plus launched, it really, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. I knew there would be some movies and some Nickelodeon stuff on there, but I didn't really know if they'd have a lot of the older content Nickelodeon because I wasn't really sure who owned the streaming rights to those service, you know, to those shows. And at first, yeah, Nickelodeon Guts and Legends of the Hidden Temple did not really make it onto the, the streaming service. So at that point, I thought to myself, well, it's probably not going to happen because maybe the streaming rights are owned by certain companies, and right now it's just not viable to put them on the streaming services. So I thought maybe down the road Paramount Plus would get it, but never did I expect within a month or two that we would see some of those real classic, nostalgic Nickelodeon shows like Guts, like Legends of the Hidden Temple, um, like Hey Dude, make it onto the list. And it's so refreshing. It's allowed me to really get more into Paramount Plus. Obviously, Paramount Plus is a great, uh, you know, a great way to watch, keep live TV on with CBS Live News and live the live CBS local affiliate in your, in your area, which is great. But programming wise, you know, if you're a CBS fan with, you know, shows like Blue Bloods or Clarice or some of those other programs, you know, obviously that is a network that maybe you might want to get invested into, um, especially migrating over from CBS All Access, which now they've added, um, you know, a larger library since switching over to Paramount+. Plus. But for me, it's the nostalgia. It's the shows like Guts, Legends of the Hidden Temple. You know, Guts obviously is an action sports show. Now, watching it as a, you know, a man in his mid-30s, it, it may not resonate. It may not hold me uh, as captivated as I once was, but... When I watch it, I always remember watching it as a kid, watching those those kids climb up the aggro crag to try to, you know, win the tournament and get that glowing piece of the rock. I mean, who didn't? Anybody that didn't watch Guts, who didn't want 
a piece of the aggro crag as you were watching it. And then growing up, I can't be the only person that's ever gone on eBay hoping that maybe someone was selling their piece of the aggro crag, or maybe there's just pieces of the aggro crag that are lying around. So for me, you know, Guts is just that fun little action sports show where you get to see kids from all over the place, girls, boys come in, compete against each other in these sometimes awkwardly weird events, but fun nonetheless, where maybe they're, you know, bungee jumping and then shooting an arrow, a Nerf arrow at a, at a target, or maybe they're hopping around or going through obstacle courses. It's always usually pretty fun, you know, and, and also, you know, Legends of the Hidden Temple sort of in that vein is a little bit of an action sports, although it's a little bit more problem solving though. And that's one of the things I liked about it. I used to really like Legends of the Hidden Temple because I, I kind of felt like it was sort of this, you know, this informational history show where they would have, you know, you know, you would have to play, you know, different teams and you would have to win pendants to go into the, uh, the temple and try to win all the prizes. And basically you'd have to answer questions about, you know, historical facts of whether it be mythology or real life situations. And I always thought it was fine. I always found it very interesting because it always gave me an opportunity to kind of learn in a unique and fun way. Cause some people just don't like learning in school and some people maybe don't find history all that interesting. But when you saw it on legends of the hidden temple, for whatever reason, it just kind of resonated a lot more with me. And I really enjoyed my time watching legends of the hidden temple. You can stream all the episodes of guts and legends of the hidden temple right now on Paramount Plus. You can also stream all that. You can stream Hey Dude. Just a really nice trip down memory lane for me, and, and it, I'm sure it will be for most people as well as they kind of browse through the Paramount Plus library. It's, it's definitely something that, you know, obviously Paramount Plus wanted to sell itself on having everything from CBS All Access, all the CBS programming, the live TV options with CBS and CBS News Network, but what drew me in not necessarily was the Godfather trilogy being on there or the Indiana Jones trilogy being on there. What really drew me in though, was the idea that you'd be able to watch some of these old shows and just kind of relive your childhood all over again. And, and Paramount plus has thankfully done that. So hopefully they're here to stay, you know, much like you see SpongeBob or the fairly odd parents or other shows that, you know, Nickelodeon's known for, Hopefully these uh, these shows are going to be here to stay because it really does, I think, give you a selling point to people, especially my age, that certainly are hoping to kind of relive their childhood sometimes every once in a while just to kind of get away from the, uh, the world, so to speak. So definitely highly recommend uh, getting on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, right now, you can uh, get that for $9.99 a month without commercials. You can also get an ad-supported uh, an ad-supported uh, program of it as well, uh, where that's a little bit less. I, I think right now it's $5.99, or it's $4.99. I think it will go up to $5.99. Um, but uh, it's definitely worth a shot if you're interested in a little bit of new, a little bit of old, and also some of the uh, the current shows on CBS. And Obviously, you can also get the daytime stuff, too, like uh, Let's Make a Deal, The Price is Right, and also the soap opera. So it's kind of a one-stop shop network, TV network. Really, first of its kind, when you, especially when you compare it to Peacock, the NBC Universal streaming service, which doesn't really offer, in my opinion, the same level of depth in terms of the programming that they have, along with some of the nostalgic programming that they offer uh, from CBS, from the daytime stuff, 
and just some of the game shows that they have as well. So definitely recommend getting Paramount Plus right now, especially if you're interested in uh, sort of reliving that childhood. Now, moving along, uh, each week I like to talk a little bit about uh, free services. You know, so some people, you know, they'll talk to you and say, well, I can't really afford Paramount Plus. I can't afford HBO Max. I can't afford Netflix. Well, there are a lot of options out there, whether you're going through IMDb TV, Roku Channel, Tubi, Plex, um, Pluto TV also offers live live shows, live programming, along with uh, you know on demand content, which is very nice. Um, especially if you just you know if you, you know they have different channels on Pluto TV. But this week I'm going to look at IMDb TV, which I think might have maybe the best free lineup right now. Now, obviously, on all of these free services. Uh, free movies, free TV shows, whatever they may be, they are commercial supported. So you do have to kind of, uh, even though you're not paying for the service, you do have to watch commercials uh, either at the beginning of a program or throughout the program, which can sometimes be a little jarring for people. But I think for most people, it's really no different than what they experienced when they had cable television and you'd have to sit through commercials uh, while you're watching a movie or TV show. So looking this week at IMDb TV's Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Now, this is a 2007 release directed by Tim Burton. It is a musical. So Johnny Depp, who plays the lead character, Sweeney Todd, gets to sing a little bit here, which actually he does a pretty solid job of. I know a lot of people might have said, well, he's not the traditionally good singer that you would maybe listen to if you were to see Sweeney Todd on Broadway. But that's sort of the point of it, though, is that... This is a character that's a little bit rough around the edges. He's a, he essentially kills people uh, to, to try to get revenge on uh, losing his family. And I think, you know, Depp does a fine job of singing, but it's mostly about the, the music overall. The lyrics are terrific. Uh, you know, the one thing that I would say more so than anything about musicals is some people love them, some people don't. And even if you don't really love musicals, you still get this idea of if the music is good, if the lyrics are good, sometimes it can kind of cross, you know, cross over to that idea where it works as a movie. Sometimes I don't always get into the movies, um, especially like maybe Mamma Mia. I didn't really think it translated all that well, but certainly I think Sweeney Todd translates with great music, uh, terrific performances. Uh, Helena Bonham, Bonham Carter also is in this film. She does a great job singing as well. And the, the scenery, the view, the, the, the images that you see on screen, very aesthetically pleasing film. Tim Burton, this is probably by far my favorite Tim Burton movie. And that's compared, you know, even with his Batman success and some of his other movies. But this is probably his best work, even though it certainly is a, adapting the musical, the stage play for it. But I think the music the music is always in is always captivating. I didn't really know a ton about Sweeney Todd actually going into the movie. Um, I did see it in theaters way back when in 2007, and I thoroughly enjoyed the experience uh, to the point where it was really at that time I think one of my favorite musical or movies that in, incorporated music uh, to that degree. Uh, I think Tim Burton does a great job of just telling the story, allowing the visuals to play out. Obviously. It is very much heavily CGI. This is in that, you know, mid 2000s where CGI seemed to take over a lot of movies. But in this way, you know, I think it helped paint this dark, bleak aesthetic, a lot of grays and black and just, 
you know, bleaker tones in this on the screen. But then when you get the bloodshed, obviously it, it really pops against that uh, sort of dull color palette. Um, and I think definitely worth your time. I've given it uh, when I first saw it, I gave the movie four stars. And after uh, checking it out again, still love the music, love the performances by Depp, uh, love the performance by Helena Bonham Carter. And, in, you know, even though I'm not the biggest fan of Tim Burton's movies, usually this is really great direction on his part. Um, it was nominated. Uh, Johnny Depp did receive a nomination for Best Actor, obviously did not win. Did get a nomination for Art Direction and Costume Design. It really made me feel like I was in sort of a period piece London um, and really just a nice overall film. Obviously, it's pretty bleak and dark, but if you can get through that, it certainly is worth your time. I definitely recommend checking this out. Like I said, you can watch it right now for free on IMDb TV. All you need to do is sign in. You don't have to pay for it. But if you do want to pay and watch this movie without commercials, it does. Uh, it is streaming currently on Paramount Plus with a Paramount Plus subscription. So either way you look at it, it's a great, a great option. It, it's sort of a breezy, less than two hours uh, type of film, so it goes by quick. And it's definitely worth your time, whether you stream it for free with commercials on IMDb TV or on Paramount+. Plus. So once again, that's four stars for Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. This is Craig Shop with the Ohioan Podcast, and this has been an Ohioan. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer, you know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.